Lord Jesus, those are the words of John the Baptist. John the Baptist said, you must become greater and I must become less, passages that we'll take a look at today. And so as we prepare our hearts to know exactly what that means, we want you to speak to us today. As Christians, we have a job to do. It's a job you've given us and a job that you've enabled us to do. Will you speak to our hearts today, convict us, encourage us, empower us to speak on your behalf. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, for those of you who are fans of Do Your Job, if you'll kill the lights for me, and we'll play just a little clip from something you may be familiar with. Wilson with 33 seconds and counting. Play clock is five. Wilson, quick throw. Look, throws inside. Pass is... Oh, my God! We just need everybody to do their job. Maybe the one word that isn't in that that's implied is do your job well. It could be enough to make the difference. Patriots fan. Patriots. I'm a Patriots fan. I'm, I'm a fan of the Patriots of America, and I, I happen to like Bill Belichick personally. If you don't, that's okay. You like losers. I like winners. And as he became pretty famous with that, and he basically uh, taught that, just go out and do your job, I have in the top of your notes there, uh, where would we be without people who did their job? Where would we be in America, as you saw that beautiful video that was put together, where would we be in America without people who did their job? The founding fathers and their families and those who put their lives and their fortunes on the line. Yeah, you probably know they're always trying to despair people like George Washington and other people for different things, and the the liberals are out there trying to crush it all. But where would we be? Where would we be without those from those founding days to today without many people, politicians, our military, our fire, our, our police, where would we be in America? I think back to so many different things, and I, I think about some of the different things that I happen to know from people who have fought years ago and people who fought now. My, my wife and I are big fans of the military. We watch several films um, that uh, talk about and document what has happened. Think about the uh, people. Do you know what TBI is? It, it is a, a, a brain a problem that men and women in the service have because of, there was a blast that was close to them that shook their brain. I can't remember exactly, uh, TBI, anybody? Traumatic brain injury, thank you so very much. Traumatic brain injury, it's because of a blast they have. We were watching and we were thinking, and we, we think about the men and the women who come back from the military who have fought to give us this freedom, and they come back and have trouble adjusting back into society. I know many of them, and you know them. People who have trouble with their husbands or their wives or their families or their marriages and end up maybe divorced. Do you know, that I I, I did some stats, and I know this is a little hard to come down with, but there's about 40,000 vets who are homeless every night that went there to fight for our freedom for what we enjoy, for what we take for granted, for those that come home with the post-traumatic stress syndrome and those that struggle with that. Do you know, on average, there's 22 suicides a day from vets? What did they go do? What did they do for us, and what are we doing for them? 
I'm in conversations with several uh, guys that I knew who were in the military to probably try to do some type of a recovery ministry or support system here in this church. And I need your prayers to help us be able to do that. Because I don't know what to do, but I do know the one who does. We have the freedom we have because of the people who did their job, and they did it well. Now, we're Christians, right? And when you came in, you got, you got a band that said, in God we trust. So let's see if we do. That band right there is meant for you to wear on your wrist or to hang on your mirror in your car to remind us, do we trust in God? To trust in him to do the job that he's called us to do. I think about uh, our faith, you know. Our country had a beginning, our faith with Jesus Christ on the cross, and, and I think about what he did, and I think about the early disciples who weren't afraid to give their lives for the truth. They did their job, and it may have cost them their lives, most of them. I think about women of faith like Corrie Ten Boom in a Nazi concentration camp seeing her sister murdered, and after the war is over, she was hiding Jews, that was the problem, and after the war was over, she saw one of the guards and forgave him. That's Jesus right there, doing her job. I think about somebody this day, you know, Billy Graham, who recently passed away, and the words that he spoke and the words that his uh, his wife spoke about how often he was gone, different countries, different places, to be able to preach the gospel. She was without him, and she supported him and prayed. He did his job, and she did her job. I think about moms and dads who are doing their job, husbands and wives and all kinds of different people. And I come to 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, in your notes. Let's look at verse 11, the first part of it, and then we'll take a look at a couple different things. The Scripture says, Evan, since then... We know what it is to fear the Lord. Now, that fear the Lord means it means we know who Jesus is. We know what it means to, to be a Christian. We know what it means to be saved. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. Does that include Evan? Does Evan try? That's the word. How much effort goes into trying to persuade somebody else of what you know is the only way to heaven? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to heaven without me. I didn't say it. People think a lot of different things. I want you to know as you get ready to try to persuade something, you have some awesome, awesome support, tools. They come from Jesus Christ himself in your notes. Christ has given us corrective lenses. Corrective lenses. Take a look at verse 16 with me. I don't know if you have corrective lenses like I do that are progressive. Um, I was fishing with somebody the other day, and they reached over the side to get a fish, and their glasses fell into the water. Their sunglasses, it happens oftentimes. Charlie Tuna does wear sunglasses. Maybe you have contacts. I know somebody had LASIK surgery, and their vision was corrected, not to 2020, but we're always reminded it's 2010. He got 2010. He's got 2010. Okay, yeah. Well, you can't see through a brick wall, but you got 2010. Corrective lenses. Look at verse 16. So from now on, everybody coming to know Christ, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in that way, we do so no longer. Now, in case you don't know, I'm sure most of you do, there is a worldly, secular point of view on many things. This passage of Scripture says, once you go... From being filled with the Spirit and follower of Jesus Christ, the Spirit helps us to have a biblical worldview. We view everything 
through uh, what the Bible says. Let's take a couple examples. What's the secular humanist worldview of evolution, how we got here, right? We came through uh, mud and slime, and every one of us is a part of every kind of animal and being because we're all basically chained together. Though you can take a baby in its womb, and in some places outside its womb, don't kill a baby eagle, all right? Everybody okay today? So uh, the passage of Scripture says... We don't view them that way. How do Christians view the, view the world? How do we get here? The Bible says God made man and woman, and they reproduced after their own kind. He made animals. They reproduced after their own kind. He made fruit trees and trees. They, they produce after their own kind. Then you ask yourself the question, do you, have any, do you try to persuade anybody that believes in evolution of a different point of view from what you see? Can you tell anybody about micro versus macro evolution? Can you tell anybody about genetics and how genetics, how it's impossible it is? Uh, you can learn from other people. Are we trying to persuade anybody? Or are we just like, you know, well, they think that way, so what? They're going to hell. They're stupid. Have you asked them? Are things being created after their own kind? A, a worldview versus a biblical point of view. Let's think about cheating, thievery. 25 years old, up to the time I was 25 years old, I cheated the government on my taxes because people told me, well, pad what you put into your, uh, your job. Put more stuff in there. It's not $200. Put $1,000. You know, they're ripping you off, so you rip them off. Cheat seemed fair to me. Buy, sell a car. Change the amount on the title so you don't have to pay as much tax. Seems right to me. They shouldn't be taxing me anyway. They don't know what they're doing anyway. And then I became a Christian and had a world point of view. It's not the country I live in that I'm worried about. It's my Savior. I don't ever cheat on my taxes, though somebody may try to persuade me it's the right thing to do. No, no. I put the right amount on a title every time I've been called a goody-two-shoe because of it. If that's what I am, that's what I am. Worldview, biblical point of view. And I want to say to you, as you look at this, this passage of Scripture says we no longer look at everybody from a worldly point of view. From a secular point of view, we look at them with eyes that they have a soul. And for the first 25 years of my life, I was one of those lost people that somebody cared about. So you care about somebody, I, I hope it's true of you. No matter how despised someone is, the people, the person at work that's got a foul mouth, he doesn't care if there's ladies around or anything. How do you look at them? How do you view them? The girl that wears whatever she's wearing to try to attract guys and we have a special word for them, do you care about her soul? Or do you just look at them and click your tongue and have nothing to do with them? That's what I'm asking myself and that's what I'm asking you. When I was in uh, college, they taught us something called, when you got saved, called lift and separate. In other words, all of my life, I was going along until I was 25, 26 years old. I was walking on this line. Everything from a worldly point of view coming along here. Then I gave my life to Christ, and everything started to change. I started a spiritual lift. I started to not cheat. I started to do what's right. I started to be moral. I started to follow Jesus Christ. I started, and I'm heading this way while everybody else in my life is still down here. And the farther I got from them, possibly the more haughtier I thought I was and you. Most effective person for winning somebody to Christ is somebody when they first give their life to Christ because they're just still so close. We have to be careful that though we lift and we grow that we do not separate ourselves from souls who need Jesus Christ 
This is our job. He's given us corrective lenses. Do you need to be reminded like I do? For Christians to do our job, we need these. Ask yourself the question, have I begun to look at people without Christ as someone that I I really don't want to be around? You know, kind of like Christians with corrective lenses that have cataracts on them. You know, get a little bit older, get some cataracts, starts to blur your vision a little bit, starts to dim everything a little bit. Somebody said this, and you know it real well, one man's junk is another person's treasure, right? It's exactly how it is with Jesus. Somebody's out there, they're junk. And so was I, and so were many of you. But they were somebody's treasure, somebody that prayed for me, somebody that cared to share the gospel with me for Jesus Christ. How we see the lost determines if we've had corrective lens surgery. But here's the thing. All we're called to do is trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and do our job. Number two, Christ has given us a restoration process. It isn't just that, okay, you got different eyes now. He's given us a restoration process, you know. Some of you work with wood, and you know what it takes to strip it and to get it down and to sand it and get it done well, and you can refinish it, and it looks beautiful. I'm more of a metals worker, and I work with metals and things like that. Some of you can look at a house and walk in, and I see, man, this thing's a piece of junk, and somebody says, oh, man, this is the perfect restoration. I can flip this house and make money. That's how it is, a restoration process. Look at verse 17. A passage scripture is really familiar, but the context is something. Honestly, I did not know until I studied the context of this. Verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you have a new worldview, if you have a view of the world through the Bible, you're a new person. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. In verse 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and he gave us, here it is, everybody, the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Hallelujah for that. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Now, in your notes, I have a definition. Reconciliation is the restoration of the favor of God to sinners, and most especially to sinners who have repented of their sins and turned to Jesus Christ to follow him. I grew up repenting and repenting and repenting, but never really turning my life over to Jesus. The two have to come together. We view every person with corrective lenses. We're a new creation. We see that they can be a new creation. And now we know what our job is. It's to share with all people that they can be reconciled to God and not have their sins counted against them. Do you have on your prayer list somebody? Are you praying for anybody? You got a name of somebody written down somewhere? Do you pray, Lord, use me to win somebody to Christ? See, here's the thing. Angels aren't going to share the gospel. Jesus Christ is not coming back to share the gospel. He came once to give his life for you and I to share the gospel. He's handed it off to you and me. That's our job. We need to do our job. The second time Jesus Christ comes, it will be too late. It's you and me, and we're a ragtag team. But we have... What we need, and God has made sure he's provided, we have our story. See, Sundays are not specifically for Christians. Not at Lifeline, and not at LifeHouse. 
This is not specifically for Christians. I make it that way on purpose. Why would you show a video of a 2014 video of your favorite coach? I mean, I didn't mean to say that, but of a Super Bowl team that won. Why? Because so that there's somebody here today, because somebody doesn't know Christ. Somebody may be religious like I was. There's got to be something in our services. Don't come to church and think, well, I didn't get what I wanted. It doesn't always happen that way. We try to build into our services illustrations and pictures and graphics and everything we can, videos, whatever, so that somebody's not a Christian can connect. If you invite somebody to church, unless we're having an outreach event, when's the time they're going to come? It's going to be Tuesday? Thursday? It's going to be Sunday morning. They're going to come. So when you come, you don't know what it's like to be in church until you sit next to somebody that you brought that doesn't know Christ. And they're thinking, boy, I hope Evan doesn't say something stupid. <laughs> you know how many times I've heard that? Man, I hope Evan doesn't embarrass himself. Well, just count on it. <laughs> a restoration process that we've been given. Sundays are not specifically us. There's a process. And if you take a shortcut in winning somebody to Christ, you'll probably almost always fail. Because it's so easy and so fast to just throw it out there. But the process is caring. The process is loving. The process is making a friend. The process is coming alongside somebody and living your life with them. My, my sisters had a 1965 Mustang, 283, uh, 289 three-speed. Woo, that car was fast. It had rust on it behind the front wheel well. And Jimmy Miller and me, we did the, we did the body work. We did the body work. We put the bondo on it. We took it to Earl Scheib. <laughs> Earl Scheib looked at it and said, who did this work over here? We thought it was great. I don't remember if I told him we did or if I just said, I don't know who did it. But I don't remember. But once he painted it, it looked like bird poop. It looked terrible. And since we didn't get rid of all the rust, it started to fall apart again. There is a process for body work, there's a process. The Ministry of Reconciliation, there's a process. I, liked, I don't know if it was original with John Maxwell, but he said, you know, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Care first. Care first. Then you might open a door to share the gospel with them. We have a ministry and a message of reconciliation and restoration and forgiveness. We have a military force that's out there right now, and they're doing their job. And we're grateful to them for that. We, uh, we must be about doing our job. What have I done, Evan Nunley, you personally, what have I done with the ministry of reconciliation, the restoration process he's giving for the people who need to become a new creation? Who are you loving? Whose life are you in? And they are so lost, and they have the foulest mouth, and their mind is so worldly, but you just keep living Jesus for them. Number three, we have corrective lenses, we look through a biblical point of view, the restoration process that he's given us. If you've been forgiven of your sins, God has this thing where he won't count your sins against you. That's a good conversation to have. And then number three, he's given us authority to speak and to act on his behalf. Just in case you said to yourself, man, who am I to be able to be sharing the gospel? That's pastor's job or that's somebody else's job. Absolutely wrong. I can't go where you can go, and you can't go where I go. Verse 20. We, W-E, you and me, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. 
Real quick, look down to the definition of this word here in this context. It's an authorized messenger or representative. You are thereby authorized. The Spirit's been given to you, Adam Nabisco, Ekim Spirit, 222 That's God's phone number. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are authorized. I like the passage of Scripture Roger has on his business card. It's caused conversations. Passage of Scripture he lived out in his life. Joseph in uh, Genesis 50, right? Genesis 50. No, you meant it for harm. God meant it for good, something personal to him. And he talks to people about it when they say, you know, what, what does that mean? A restoration process, authority, speaking of We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Here's the word. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him. You, just, you talk about Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God right before God. Who are you sharing the gospel with? Who are you an ambassador? When you go out, you are his ambassador. Be prayed up, be filled up with the Spirit, go out as an ambassador. You probably know some of the different ambassadors that we have in our country. We got ambassadors from Israel. They come and they speak on Israel's behalf. And then even their enemy, enemies like Iran, now they do not have an ambassador, but they got someone in the Pakistani embassy that speaks on their behalf. Maybe you know uh, Germany has one. Germany's uh, ambassadors, Richard Allen Grinnell, whoever it might be, they come from their country to represent our country and to our country from their thinking, their process. Maybe we start to get set so far apart that we forget. And that's the whole purpose of an ambassador. Jesus Christ wants you to make sure those people that haven't forgotten about him. You are his ambassador. He has authorized you. He has empowered you to be his representative. As Jesus Christ is an ambassador, you know, you might have somebody you want to talk to. You know, what will you do with your sins that you've committed while you're alive? You know, maybe if, if, you, if you get to the place where you can have a conversation with somebody, and they know you're religious, and they don't even know that it's, you know, they just say, you're kind of religious, you know. One thing to talk about when I share the gospel, most especially with somebody, sometime or another I get around to sin. And I start with not a haughty place, I start with my sin where I was and what Christ cleaned me up of. Not from a haughty position. Ask somebody this question. You know, when you leave this earth, what, what are you going to do with your sins? Because you're going to take them into eternity. The good works can't make up for the bad stuff. You can't mix it all together. Talk to them. Are you going to leave this earth with sins? What will happen to you if that's the case? And then you can say, I, I got really good news for you. There was one who reconciled us to God. He carried our sin. He had no sin. You can open a gospel. You guys are much cleverer than I am. Take this passage, take this here, and say, I have a message for you. As Christ's ambassador, I want to ask you the question, have you been doing your job? Are you trusting in Jesus Christ? In God we trust. It's a great, it's called red, white, and blue. Great. I got a red, white, and blue shirt on just because my wife told me to do it last night. I, I probably wouldn't have. I always forget those things. But I don't want to forget to make sure that you and I are an ambassador for Jesus Christ. In your notes, I have the phrase on call. Probably several of you here, you know what that means. You're on call, right? 
<laughs> you're on call. You got a pager. You got a beeper. You got a cell phone. You got whatever it is. You're, you're, you're on call. My, my son-in-law, Ricky, he's on SWAT. And whenever his phone goes off, it's like, you know, SWAT calls him. It pages him. He's got a flashing light on the thing. goes off even at nighttime. Ask my daughter. On call, ready to go. Whenever you're around people who you know don't know Christ, you're on call. You're on call, wherever it is, whatever you're doing. You've got your corrective lenses. You can see where they're at. You look at them from a biblical point of view. You don't judge them. You love them. You have a ministry of reconciliation that was applied to your life, and you're a new creation in Christ, and you want them to be. You're an ambassador, empowered and authorized to represent Jesus Christ. That's kind of like from a thug to represent, you know. You represent. You get out there. And I have in your notes there the asterisks. You know, every day, every minute, everywhere, and with everyone, you and I are to be Christ's ambassador. No, you can talk to any of my family members you want. When we go on vacation, we're looking for somebody to share Jesus with. We're praying. We're looking. We always do. We're looking. You know, it's like who's dad talking to? Who's Elizabeth talking to? We're always looking to represent. And... um, we went to the big crack known as the Grand Canyon. And as we went there this past year, we went to a place my daughters looked at. Anybody here of Antelope Canyon? Man, it is gorgeous. It's beautiful. Unbelievable. And as we were going there, I was in the gift shop killing time. I wasn't buying anything because I don't buy stuff in gift shops. And uh, I heard this guy walk up to the guy and say, hey, do you have Venmo? How many of you know what Venmo is? It's the ability from cell phone to cell phone to transfer money. Let me give you my number. You guys all send me some money. And he asked, and I just kind of overheard, and I was looking, and I didn't know if they were friends. I didn't know what was going on. I went over here. A couple minutes later, this guy walks up to me and says, do you have Venmo? And I'm like, yeah, I do. He says, my wife and my two kids, my son and my daughter, my, we paid $40 to go in there, but there's an $8 service fee, and it's on an Indian reservation. They take no credit cards. We need cash. He says, if you, could you give me the money, and I'll Venmo you the money. And I just looked at him and said, how do I know I'm not getting taken advantage of? Come out of here, saw his wife, saw his kids, saw all those different things. You know, and they, their time was running out. Their, their, their tour was leaving. It was all kind of really rushed, you know. They Venmoed me the money. I gave them the money, you know. And uh, as they're going, I said, I just want you to know this is because we love Jesus. And they're running away and they're moving. And she says, we love Jesus too. Then he has the ability through this to text me, text me, thank me again, which is his mistake, man. He texted me. <laughs> And I basically said, I don't know where you're from, but I want you to know that if you are ever in Cleveland, I says, I want you to come. I'll take you walleye fishing out on Lake Erie. He texted me back. He was from St. George, Utah. Now, anybody here ever been to Utah? I really thought it was a little crazy that everybody says that there's nothing but Mormons there. But there's nothing but Mormons there. <laughs> this guy's from St. For all I know, they could be Mormons. I would love to have them come to Cleveland. He texted me back, said he will do. I gave him my phone number. Who knows where it'll go? But I get him three miles out on Lake Erie. (laughs) Swimmer, listen. Y'all right, everybody? Y'all right? We can have fun with Christ. Come on. Are you open to it? My children, everywhere they go, I'm so proud of them, trying to share Christ. We are his ambassadors 24-7 wherever we go. Now, folks, I don't want you to be like an Amway salesman. You all know what Amway is, right? 
I ask people, what do you think of Amway? They say, man, they're annoying. I don't want you to be annoying. I want you to be full of love. I want you to be full of care. And I want you to take a chance in boldness at certain time to step out. Because believe it or not, every time I get ready to show the gospel, I have fear. And if you have fear, join the crowd. And all that means is you ask Jesus for courage, for boldness. And you go forward. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's pushing forward, doing what you know is right. So I love the word in your the bottom of your notes well. Bill Belichick said, you know, in that interview, it's implied, do your job well. I look at what Jesus said about John the Baptist and then what John the Baptist said about Jesus. I think Jesus is said, John the Baptist, he did his job really well. Look at Luke 7 in your notes, 28. Jesus said, I tell you, among those born of women, there's no one greater than John. That's, that's doing your job. Yet the one who is least, that's the key word, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And that's the song we were singing about. Least means whatever it means, whatever I can do, whatever I do to get out of the way and to make sure that he is lifted up. The challenge isn't, well, John the Baptist was the best. There's no use trying. It's no use. should be the least. You'd be right there with him. Jesus is saying to him, you did your job well. And John the Baptist didn't care what the Pharisee says. He didn't care if he was mocked. He didn't care what he wore, that's for sure. Camel's hair and belt and eating locusts, you know. To Jesus, that is you and me. We're doing our job well. John the Baptist did his job well. And then I like John 3.30. His disciples, John's disciples are coming up to him. They're saying, you know, Jesus is baptizing more than you. And some of the followers are following him. And John said, I told you I'm not the Messiah. And then he said these words. He, meaning Jesus, must become greater. That's the key word. From us to him, from him to us, least to greater, I must become less. The only way that I can love those words, Jesus must become greater, I must become less, is, is you got to love Jesus. That's the only way you would ever say that. And everybody here knows that every relationship that you've ever had works according to that principle. Brother and sister, husband and wife, uh, neighbors, grandmas and grandpas, whatever it is, the principle worked where you thought of the other person above yourself. And there are situations I know you're getting taken advantage of, but then the other one is, is that person and in turn thinks of you better than themselves. Where do you want to go to dinner? No, I don't care. Where do you want to go to dinner? No, I don't care. Where you, are. you know, I'll do the dishes. No, I'll do the dishes. You sit and eat bonbons, you know, whatever. That's how every relationship works. He must receive the glory. The only way I can say, you must become greater, I must become less, is if I love him. I love what he's done for me. Do your job well. Who are you known as? What is your reputation? Do your, grandpa- do your grandkids think you're just a poo-poo snot? No fun to be around? Do the people at work want you there? They know something different about you. You do your job and you do it well. You're not a pain in the neck. You're not gossiping. You're not a part of all of that. What do your neighbors think of you? Are you the pain in the neck neighbor who doesn't return tools? What's your reputation? It carries, and you have to know that that's how much a part of you. As long as you and I live in this body, we must look at the lost with corrective lenses. 
from the biblical point of view. We must share the ministry of reconciliation. You don't have to have your sins counted against you. And we must be the ambassadors of Jesus Christ, authorized and empowered to speak on his behalf. I'll close with a story I'll tell you. Um, several years ago, a long time ago, I guess, my daughter Daniela, uh, I think she played one or two years of soccer. She was on a soccer team, and uh, we were watching a girls' soccer team, and there was a guy that I started to befriend a little bit. He was a politician, and he was an attorney, and he advertised in a certain town or city, doesn't much matter, but he advertised, he was up for election and different things, and he wanted your business as an attorney. He had a daughter that was playing, and my daughter was out there, and there was a girl on the team, she stunk. I'm sorry, she, just, she couldn't kick the ball. We loved her. She couldn't receive the ball. She couldn't play defense. She was slow, and she surely couldn't score. But you have to pull everybody out, right? I'm standing next to this guy, and the guy leans over and says, that's a waste of good air. I was like, so shocked. I'm mad at myself to this day that I said nothing back. I confessed. I said nothing. I didn't know what. I'm like, what? That's how you feel. You know, that, that basically means he kind of wishes she was dead. What? You say that about a high school girl. And I wonder to myself sometimes if that girl and her lousy skills, who's not pleasing everybody else that are watching fans, doesn't represent some lost person that you and I know that everybody kind of hates. Everybody doesn't really want to be on. Kind of a waste of oxygen. And I wonder if sometimes I don't represent that guy, or you don't represent that guy. <laughs> They're not worth our time. We'll not put any effort or time into them. Bow your heads with me. Today, Jesus Christ, you speak to us. We are to do our job, the job that you have given us, and we're to do it well. We're so thankful in this country for the freedom that we have, the men and the women, from our founding fathers all the way up to today, everyone who has given us the freedom that we enjoy. Some of us, we haven't lifted a finger to do anything about that except maybe vote, and some of us, not even that. Lord, today, we give you permission to search our hearts. We give you permission to take the cataracts off of our eyes. We thank you so very much for the fact that you've given us a process of restoration. The ministry of reconciliation, reconciling sinners to God. His name is Jesus Christ. And the fact that you count us as your ambassadors on your behalf, authorized, empowered by the Spirit of God to push past our fear and to open up and speak to those who do not know you. For that is what this church and the lives of Christians is to be about, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for your time. Good morning, everyone. I uh, have a few announcements I'd like to share with you this morning.